Good morning, church. If you're a guest with us, my name's Kelly. I serve as senior pastor here 41 years, Beth. We're thankful for you and Rafa, as well as your kids, extended family. Glad y'all are here today together. There'll be a luncheon celebrating the Afanador service next weekend, next Sunday afternoon, following the second service. We'd love to have you out to be a part of that. If you know them, it'd be good to celebrate God's work through them and uh, his goodness to us through them. Well, we want to make the uh, most of July 4th weekend. We want to make the most of our independence, don't we? We don't want the, uh, the sacrifices of servicemen and women to go to waste. I, you know, true freedom's found in Christ, but to make the most of our freedoms, we want to dive into God's Word and see what He has for us and then live for Christ and all the freedoms that He invites us to. So with that in mind, we're continuing in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 5 and been there for several weeks. Uh, we're commandment by commandment going through the Ten Commandments. We're in commandment number 8 this morning. It's on the screen. It's pretty straightforward. You shall not steal. Of course, stealing is taking anything that's not ours, which brings up an important point that needs to be made right off the bat. That point is that everything belongs to the Lord. Although we use the language of ownership in life in this world, nothing really belongs to us. The truth of the matter is that we enter the world without any possessions. We will exit the world without any possessions. We're fond of saying things like, you can't take it with you. The truth is that everything belongs to God, which means that the things that we do possess are when we use the word possessions, we talk about homes and cars and clothes. The truth is that we've only been entrusted with those items. Our responsibility is to wisely steward what God has entrusted to us. Stewards, you know, a word that means to manage, to oversee, to take care of, to utilize as he would have us utilize those resources. In fact, if we ask ourselves the question, why would the Lord prohibit theft? Maybe it's fairly straightforward, but maybe it's not. It's a, a good question to ask. One of the answers must be because it usurps his sovereign ownership of all things. Stealing usurps God's sovereign ownership of all things. In the Psalms, we read the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When we steal, we are functionally denying God's ownership of all things. To steal is not simply to take something from someone else, it's certainly that, but it's not simply that, it's actually to say that God doesn't have the right to dispense what he believes each of us should be entrusted with. To steal is to assert our claim to what God has divinely ordained someone else should have. Again, we really own, own nothing. God owns everything, which means that when we steal, whether something large or something small, we're challenging God's authority. We're taking what is his and what he has distributed to someone else determined that they should have it, and we're saying, no, 
you, you messed this up, God. You, you wrongly gave them this possession. It really should be mine. This means that while we may take something from someone else, stealing is ultimately an offense to God. In fact, restating this commandment in the affirmative allows us to highlight the importance of the biblical concept of stewardship or of management. Here's the positive spin on the, on the Eighth Commandment. You shall respect the right of others to steward what God has entrusted to them. So do not steal. You could say it positively. That's prohibitive language. You could say it positively by saying you shall respect the right of others to steward what God has entrusted to them. Stealing may take place on a large scale, or it may take place on a very small scale. At the large end of the scale, we have people like Bernie Madoff. Anybody remember Bernie Madoff? He ran a Ponzi scheme of a very elaborate nature and bilked millions, millions from folks. At the other end of the scale, the smaller end comparatively, perhaps me, you, tempted on a daily basis to take what God's entrusted to others. I'll give you some examples that are fairly common. I'll give you one from my own life. Uh, on our way home from vacation many, many years ago now, my kids are all adults, we pulled into a rest stop when they were younger. We were making our way back from the state of New York. We had gone to a family camp there. We pulled into a rest stop, unloaded, headed towards the bathrooms. It was a brand new facility, a very nice rest stop. At the entrance, whoever had designed the facility had put these shiny machines that no kid could resist, right? Dispensing bubble gum and all kinds of trinkets. Immediately, our children started to beg for the quarters needed to operate the machines. I didn't have any. As Andrew was standing there, though, staring at the machine, wishing he had a quarter, he noticed that the biggest machine had four quarters sitting in the rotator, the spinner. The lever had broken, apparently. The quarters did not advance as they were supposed to. And since we didn't see anybody else around, I assumed that the poor child who wanted that giant gumball, that if you put four quarters in, you got this huge gumball, that he walked away when the lever didn't work leaving his quarters behind in the machine. I figured he was probably back out on the highway somewhere with his family. And so I reached down with my car keys and I worked to pry those four quarters out of the machine. Uh, I was an instant hero with my children. And then I distributed the quarters liberally, giving to each one of, those, of my children. A couple minutes later, we went on to the restroom. We came back out. After I came back from the restroom, I saw this young family walk over to this big bubble gum machine, the one which I had just worked so hard to rescue four quarters from. And from a distance, I saw their children explaining something about the machine. Something had gone wrong for this little kid. Obviously, the gum that my kids were now chewing contentedly enjoying belonged to that little kid. And he was talking about how he had left the four quarters in the machine and had meant to come get his dad or mom, right? And explain that the lever didn't work, now what's he to do? So I began weighing my integrity. 
against the expediency of simply getting back out on the highway. After all, it's only bubblegum, right? No one's going to go hungry. We're not talking about real food here. It's only a dollar. And the energy it would take to explain to, that my children are contentedly chewing the gum that his kids should be chewing, well, that's somewhat embarrassing. I have to actually admit that I, with my car keys, wrangled out of the machine his, the money that he probably distributed to his kids. So I went over to the dad, explained what had happened, said, hold on here, ran out to my car, got a dollar. I still didn't have quarters. All I could give the guy was a paper dollar, but it was his dollar. And we got back out on the road. I'll give you some other examples. That's a small one and a silly one. But I, I feel like we're presented with things like that all the time. How about something as simple as putting in a full day's work? Time is money, which means showing up late, leaving early, taking a long lunch, all forms of stealing. Think of the time we might spend on the computer not doing work, playing games, uh, tending your Facebook page, returning personal email, shopping online. I offer these because I think they're things that we all get sucked into. I think of stealing supplies from work. So my father famously told a story uh, fairly regularly when I was a child. He would come home every August and he would just... He was incensed by the notion, he was a part of a, a large law firm, and they had, a, they had a supply room. It was about half the size of this room. So paper, pencils, markers of every color you can imagine. Uh, if, 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 office, if an office store had it, it was in this room. Every August without fail, the supply room at dad's work was depleted because everybody was going back to school. And so without fail, he would talk about how they would inevitably outfit everybody in the office building with back-to-school supplies. How about idea theft? Copying someone else's answers on a test, plagiarizing someone else's writing, taking credit for someone else's creative ideas. How about returning merchandise? Buying that special dress, wearing it once, successfully avoiding getting anything on it, having it dry cleaned, and returning it to the store. How about underestimating income, overestimating expenses so that you can claim them? All fairly common in our culture. I think about uh, streaming services, how common it is to share passwords to streaming services. Perhaps you can think of some of others of your own. These are a few scenarios. This leads us to consider another reason the Lord may say, do not steal. Stealing made the top 10 because it usurps God's ownership of all things. 
but it also denies his sovereign role as our provider. Who do we believe is providing for us? Do we believe we're providing for us? Office supplies, streaming services, who's paying the bills? And I get it, we go to work, we put in a full day's work, it's easy to think that we're providing for ourselves. But who gives us the energy to go to work? Who gives us the employable gifts? Who gives us competencies, the opportunity to go to school and get graduate degrees and, and so that we're competent and hireable? Stealing denies God's role as the sovereign provider for all people. Who's providing for us? Jesus famously said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow reap. They don't go to grad school, right? They don't go to college. They don't store away in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who's providing for us? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life or by stealing? And I should say, a lot of worry, fear, fuels theft. We're given to fear and worry, which can drive us toward the sin of stealing. We want to make sure that we get what we feel we deserve. So we take what's not ours. Jesus tells us not to fear, not to worry, but to believe that God will sovereignly provide all that we need. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He says, oh, you have little faith. I wonder where... Uh, if our faith were to grow, how it would impact our working a full day's work, our saying no to borrowing someone's password in a streaming service, not returning the clothes that we had worn for a full refund. If our faith were to grow, we were to say, no, God has richly provided all that I need. Jesus goes on to say, the pagans run after all these things. I'm reading from Matthew 6, if you want to read it later today. I didn't make a slide for us about it, but the pagans run. The non-believers run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. What are we running after these days? Are we running after Christ's kingdom, his righteousness, or after things that even non-believers are running out. What's our priority? What, what do we value? What are we worried about? Be careful because those who do not believe that God will provide are vulnerable to all types of temptation to steal. In the eighth command, God's saying to us, I don't want you to have to scheme. There's freedom here. I talk often about the easy yoke and the light burden. Jesus invites us to bear his yoke and to throw off the, the heavy yoke, the crushing yoke. Well, what's the easy yoke in the invitation not to steal or the directive not to steal? What's the easy yoke? We don't have to scheme. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to connive. We don't have to deceive. We get to walk with a lighter conscience. We live contentedly. Out of his great love for us, he wants to provide for us. The Apostle Paul wrote the same affirmation in the book of Philippians. He said, and my God will meet all your needs 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. So the question becomes, are we willing to let God provide in his timing the resources he believes that we are called to steward, or will we take what he's not entrusted to us? Are we willing to let him provide in his time the resources he wants to entrust to us to steward? My guess is that we are more than eager for God to provide for us, aren't we? As long as he, we can dictate when he provides and exactly what he provides. Let's be honest, when we're tempted to steal, it's most often because we're discontent with what he has in fact provided. In fact, the only way we will ever keep this commandment is to find our satisfaction in our relationship with God, ultimately. The only way that we'll ever keep this commandment is to cultivate a contentedness. In the close of the book of Hebrews, we read, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why be content? Because we have God with us. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why can we rest contentedly? What is your contentedness quotient? And our contentedness fluctuates, I think, somewhat for most of us. If we're watching a lot of advertising on television, our contentedness may drop quite a bit. We may be provoked uh, to live discontented, which will lead to temptations, perhaps to take what's not ours. I'm fond of saying that the burning question among Christians, North American Christians, uh, suburban Christians, I'm fond of saying uh, the burning question is how many pairs of shoes is enough? And for me, it would be coats. I like coats. Right? You can only wear one coat at a time. How many coats do we need in the closet? Are we contented? We are a tremendously wealthy society but terribly discontented at many levels. The Lord says at the end of the book of Hebrews, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Contentedness ultimately comes not from having everything that we see or want. or Contentedness comes from a relationship with our creator. One more pair of shoes isn't going to do it factually. Just go home and count the pairs of shoes that you have. I have a friend that used to say, many of us live with the $10,000 fallacy. If I just made $10,000 more a year, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be content. I, I used to believe that about $40,000 ago. Right? I still... And prone to thinking, well, if I just made 10 more grand, then I'd be able to cover everything and I'd be more at ease. Contentedness comes through a relationship. Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need. Few of us know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Most of us know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. There is a discontentedness with not having enough. Folks, there's also a discontentedness in having too much. Did you know that? 
We can live discontent in both situations. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The contentedness comes again from relationship with Christ. Paul's relationship with Jesus that gave him strength to navigate times of plenty, times of want. Ultimately, we will find life, life to the full, only in relationship with Christ, not in making 10 more grand a year or not another pair of shoes or another, another coat for me. I'll never forget I was reminded as a young minister, this was uh, ballpark at 25 years ago now. I was just uh, starting out in ministry here at Glom Bible Church. I was the youth pastor and took a, um, a group, I think it was a 30-ish size group, 30 teenagers, high schoolers, to Juarez, Mexico. We worked uh, with a church there for a week. And uh, we actually slept in the church and uh, we worked in the church courtyards and uh, tried to minister to the people of the church. And the the church was surrounded by um, what are best described as pallet homes, homes made of pallets that they, you know, forklifts lift and drive these pallets. And they had collected these pallets. And so there's a very impoverished community. The church was the nicest building in the area. And we had some overage through the, the, uh, the sacrifices of Glow Bible Church and the fundraising efforts. We'd actually raised more money than we needed for the trip. And so we took along with us cash. It was 1200 bucks. We were going to give that as a gift at the end of the week to the minister, the pastor there at the church. And I, all week long, I kind of was thinking about what will it be like for him to receive this $1,200 gift. $1,200 represented 25% of that church's budget annually. It's a lot of money. And I thought, wow, he's going to, this is really going to floor him. I'm thinking, I'm building it up in my head. This is, this is going to mark a moment for him. And, and this is going to, I thought, well, maybe he'll, he'll be embarrassed by it. Like it's too much money. Um, Maybe it'll make things awkward. So I waited to the end of the week to give the gift. I didn't want to make the relationship awkward. As we gathered for that final goodbye, I presented the pastor with the check, with all the humility that I could muster, wondering how will he respond. With genuine thanks, he shook my hand. He received it. He didn't swoon. (laughs) He didn't weep. He didn't wail in gratitude. Simple, heartfelt thanks. And I recognized immediately he knew something about money I did not know. His posture towards the gift expressed a confidence that his heavenly father owned the cattle of a thousand hills and that he apparently sold a cup of cows and here's the cash. He genuinely knew. He lived with a contentedness that I didn't live with and I was much more wealthy than the community my standard of living much higher, yet he knew something about money that I didn't know. Although poor himself, serving a poor community, his response communicated the truth that life is found in relationship with Jesus, not in possessions, not in wealth. His posture communicated in a way that words would never express that without Jesus, it's just money. 
and would make our lives bankrupt even if we had it and didn't have Jesus. You know, the temptation is often to love Jesus and to love our money. But we're told very clearly by Christ we cannot do that. That we can't love both our Father, our Creator, and our possessions. We can only have one master, to use Jesus' words. So how do we combat the discontentedness that can fuel materialism and lead us, tempt us to take what isn't ours? Paul writes to Pastor Timothy, it's interesting, it's on the screen. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, his name's Timothy, command. It's fascinating to consider that first word. I can't ever remember commanding anybody to do anything. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant in order to put their hope in wealth. Let's take Paul's directive to Timothy uh, to heart. Let's receive these words. Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Do good. To be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. Can't remember commanding anybody ever or being commanded by anybody. But let's take Paul's words to heart. Let's not be arrogant. Let's not put our hope in money. Let's, let's do good deeds that lead to life. Let's be generous. Those are the good deeds, Paul says. Be generous, willing to share. Here's some more of Christ's words uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. So Paul pulled from this for Timothy. Uh, he said, lay up treasure in, uh, as a firm foundation. That's what the words he wrote to Timothy. He actually gleans these words from Paul's teaching, uh, Jesus' teachings. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, where, where our uh, inheritance is secure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Who's our master this morning? Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. When we steal, whether it's on a large scale or a small scale, we're declaring that this world is our home that this world is our home, that this is our greatest hope, this is our greatest experience, this is what we're living for. When we willingly and generously share with others our possessions, those resources with which we've been entrusted, when we mobilize those for God's glory and other people's good, we declare that heaven is our home. When we're generous, willing to share, 
we're saying, no, heaven's our home, and we're storing up treasure there. I'll close with this uh, word from Paul. We often quote around here, just as you excel in everything, and this room is full of people that excel, in faith, you excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. There's a grace to giving, to generously, willingly sharing your resources. Let me pray that we would excel in the grace of giving. Father, we recognize you as sovereign over all the earth and that it's your right and responsibility to distribute as you see fit all possessions. We pray that we would respect that distribution in the days ahead. We believe that you provide for us, that we do not provide for ourselves, that it's you who gives us gifts that are employable, competencies that are employable, and the strength to go to work day in and day out. So you are providing for us. We're not providing for ourselves. Father, cultivate in our hearts a contentedness with what you've entrusted to us so that we'll not be, be tempted to, to take what's not ours and so that we'll not store up treasure here on earth. Move us as wealthy people to be generous and willing to share. Help us to excel in the grace of giving in the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen.